HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box, a full-service marketing and commerce platform that helps restaurants get discovered, make more money, and engage their diners. Join over 8,000 restaurants already using Bento Box today to deliver better hospitality. Visit getbento.com slash chef today to get your first month free. That's getbento.com slash chef. Welcome to Spill and Dish, a new podcast from the Specialty Food Association. Founded in 1952, SFA is the leading trade association and source of information about the $170 billion specialty food industry. We champion the food producers, retailers, and other buyers who make up the specialty food world. Each episode, we want to share the stories behind the products made and sold by our members who are helping shape the future of food. You can listen and discover the inspiration, recipe, craft, culture, ingredients, and production methods that help answer the question, what makes specialty food special? I'm today's host, Julie Gallagher, Director of Content at SFA. We're excited to bring you today's episode and so happy to be working with Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit podcast network covering the world of food, drink, and agriculture, and expanding the way eaters think about food. Today's guest is Rick Field, founder and CEO of Rick's Picks USA. Chief Pickler, founder, CEO, and Chief Pickler. Oh, excuse me. Okay. Um, So I'm so excited to be speaking with you today, Rick. And for me, there's nothing like the snap and the sour taste of a good pickle. So before we begin, please tell me, how long have pickles been your passion? Well, uh, pickles have been my passion um, since I was a child. Um, I grew up in New England, Vermont specifically, and um, made pickles with my mom and dad in the summertime. And uh, it was a family pastime that um, I picked up again and went at with rekindled enthusiasm when I was working uh, in New York, uh, having a career in film and TV. And uh, as often happens, the, uh, the passing interest became an obsession and then famously, I lost my TV job, broke up with my girlfriend, turned 40, and won a pickle contest. So obviously, it was time to start Rick's Picks. Wow, that's fascinating. So it sounds like it was a hobby of yours while you were working in the TV industry, and then you decided to pursue it full-time. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a moment, I think, in any entrepreneur's life, whether you're a food entrepreneur or otherwise, where you kind of have to jump off a cliff, you know? 
Like anytime somebody's like, yeah, I'm still working my day job. I'm like, you're not serious, you know? And uh, so you have to have the um, stupidity or bravery, depending on how you want to characterize it, to, uh, to make that leap. And I made it an awfully long time ago and uh, still swinging. That's great. Um, so did you have a food background before launching this or it was just sort of like the hobby that you did? And were you entering contests I had a food uh, mentor, my mom, um, who was a great cook in a sort of classically styled Julia Child tradition. In fact, we lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and we used to see actual real Julia Child at Star Market. No kidding. Um, but anyway, yeah, my mom was a great cook, so I was exposed to you know a lot of things that most of my friends weren't exposed to um, as a young person. You know, most of them of the uh, European tradition. Um, uh, there was not a lot of uh, uh, Eastern influences. Those came later and those I kind of earned on my own from living in New York where, you know, it's a great melting pot and all sorts of uh, Eastern cuisines, Thai, Japanese, Chinese, uh, Vietnamese, you know, are all over the place. And, and I tried um, as a pickle maker to bring some of the uh, ideas that I'd seen in other food idioms into my work. Uh, I didn't want to double down necessarily on what other people were already doing because they were already doing it. So uh, I tried to approach um, specifically flavor profiles with a, a sense of adventure and, um, you know, tried to swing for the fences every time. And sometimes I hit a home run and sometimes I struck out looking on three pitches. Okay. Um, so were there parts of your past career that sort of helped you run a food business or how did you get your feet wet with the actual business side of things? Um, well, let's just first start by saying that I am not a good businessman. And in fact, one of the great things that's happened in recent years is um, I now have a, a running mate named Steve Knowles, um, who's excellent when it comes to operations and finance. And so we are a, a two-headed monster or a left-right brain, you know, however you want to characterize it, um, very capably supported um, by the extremely talented Asha Alice. Um but to answer your question specifically, um, you know, I was a, a TV producer at VH1, uh, did creative content there. And, um, you know, I had to manage things like make sure J-Lo shows up on time and agrees to wear the small red dress and says all the funny lines that we've written for her. And so there's a certain amount of specific pressure that goes um, into making something like that happen. And what I found uh, once I got to the pickle world is some of those producer skills uh, really did translate, except the exercise now was taking, you know, 25 crates of, of perfect four and a half inch long string beans from upstate New York and getting them into 1,200 jars efficiently. Mm -hmm. So tell me about your products. It's not just pickles or... Julie, you're I, the director of content. You should know that pickle is a noun and a verb. It's not just that occurred to me after I asked the question. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people think of pickle strictly as as a cucumber product, um, and where uh, we've uh, gone with with cucumber pickles is to make what we consider to be best in class versions of familiar flavor profiles, meaning. Okay. Um, your average consumer who doesn't know anything about Rick's Picks is going to say, I want a spicy pickle. I want a sour pickle. I want a garlic dill pickle um, because that's what they know. 
And that's what we try to provide is, you know, best in class versions um, of those of those types of items. I mean, I think, you know, for better or worse, Rick's picks um, helped to premiumize the commodity based pickle category in the early OOs, mm-hmm. otherwise known as the aughts. Um, and, you know, the, I think the thing that really resonates for me most, though, is when you use pickle as a verb, you can pick a lots of different things, uh, string beans, okra, beets, and, you know. That's where we've really shown our, our mettle. And, uh, you know, we're number one in pickled vegetables at Whole Foods and have been for several years um, because of, you know, the differentiation that we bring to the vegetable part of the set. Mm-hmm. And how long did it take you to get your products on shelves? Did you start off in farmer's markets or how did that all come about? So uh, I had friends from my TV days. When I was working in TV, I would go to Grand Army Plaza Green Market in Brooklyn and buy produce, became friendly with all the people that worked there. So I had a little bit of an insider connection when I decided I wanted to go and become a pickle pro. And so I was able to get a stand at Union Square Green Market, uh, which is frankly uh, an infomercial if you're starting a business that makes food products. It's, It's a place where People like Denise Caruso and other luminaries in the food industry will come through every week, not, you know, as uh, a chore, but as part of their regular work. So buyers, uh, writers, um, bloggers, um, interested consumers uh, come through all the time. And so sure enough, um, I hadn't been at it for more than three months when I got a call from The New York Times. We did a, a feature story in the dining section about me. And uh, the next day I got a call from Whole Foods. And five years later, I was a national brand with Whole Foods. It's that easy, folks. It's just that easy. <laughs> um, I know it's it was easy for you. It sounds like it was really easy no, for no, you. No, 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 no. Au contraire. It's brutally hard. Okay. And it hasn't gotten easier lately. You know, you would think, oh, you've been around forever. You must be coasting on your laurels. Nope. What would you do differently if you could go back in time? If I could go back in time, um, I would have understood pricing strategy uh, more intelligently. Um, I have a very intuitive way of working. Uh, if you're going to be pretentious, you could say an artistic way of thinking about things. Um, but um, I haven't ever really gotten good at um, crunching numbers and understanding pricing strategy. Somebody advised me early on that the one thing I needed to do when I was starting out was to really learn Excel brilliantly. And I was like, I'll be all right. I should have done that. Um, And, you know, I think the other thing that I would say is that I I would be very careful about what I wish for. And I'm talking specifically about distributors. Um, Distributors obviously have a huge impact on getting your products out uh, into uh, the marketplace. But um, there are so many... um, you know, chargebacks and restrictions and covenants and things that you have to agree to. Just to give you one example, on the last business day before Christmas, which I think was December 22nd, I got a a check from a distributor that will not be named. And we had invoiced them for $25,000. And their Christmas card was sending me a check for $1,000. 24,000 out of 25 was all deducted. So um, that's something that, um, you know, isn't getting any easier. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a necessary evil, but what um, we've been inspired to do um, is to recognize um, where there is a better working relationship and better economic dynamics, specifically for us in food service. We have a couple of really great relationships, one with Shake Shack, another one with Sweetgreen. Um, and, you know, we do large volumes of, of product 
for both of those companies. And, you know, we send a, an invoice out. 30 days later, we get paid the full amount of that invoice. Amazing. Wow. What's, a, what specific products does um, Shake Shack source? We do you? a relish uh, for Shake Shack, um, which actually has been on pause during COVID because the operational nature of the product that it's used for, the Chicago dog, is quite uh, complex. So they needed to simple up their operations like many companies uh, during COVID. Um, we do pickles for all the international Shake Shacks. Um, for Sweet Green, we do a carrot and celery pickle um, uh, for a buffalo uh, chicken salad. And um, we're doing a LTO, a limited time offering, with them right now for their winter menu. Wow. Can you tell us a little more about that? Um, the pickle that we're doing for Sweet Green for their LTO is a whole, a whole pickle. It's called the Cool Gurk. And um, it has an aromatic brine, a uh, proprietary blend of, of pickling spice that we concocted over 15 years ago. really brings out a kind of a, a fragrance without sweetness, if you will, um, that makes it uh, just a lovely uh, pickle. Sounds delicious. What is the creative process like when it comes to working with food service outlets? What is the creative process like? Well, um, interesting question. Um, most of the time, uh, it's a question of, by reputation, they know who we are and they have a need. So it's not like I'm walking around like a used car salesman, you know, with a bunch of uh, pickles in my pocket, you know? It's like they're like, we need a carrot and celery pickle. Mm -hmm. Can you do it for this price? Okay. It's kind of, so it, it's, it, it's less, um, you know, that from that standpoint, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's partnering up more than um, aggressive selling from our side. Okay. I was taking a look at your website earlier, and I thought that the snacking pickle packs were really cool because who would think to bring a pickle, you know, to lunch somewhere? Um, tell me about how you came up with the idea for those. Okay. Well, I was dying to do a cool and interesting pickle in a pouch for over 10 years. Okay. Okay. Um, the ones, the legacy items in the category, um, the ones that you often see, um, you know, in convenience stores and gas stations, um, tend to, you know, look like um, large zeppelins um, embalmed in a huge amount of liquid. You open it up, liquid goes everywhere. That's eh, not very convenient, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so, because convenient is um, one of the Rickfield seven magic words when it comes to food. Um, we wanted to try and um, figure out a way to 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 make it so that there would be a process with very little brine, but still an extended shelf life. And of course, job number one is crispiness, right? Um, I happened um, by coincidence to um, meet some folks from Toronto um, who had proprietary technology around this, um, and uh, they. Uh, didn't have a brand vehicle, and so uh, we formed, as they say in in the uh, in the world of business, a strategic partnership. And um, you know, we started out with five snacking veggies. Sorry, we started out with five snacking pickles, okay. and now making their uh, fancy food show debut here. in, is it what? How do, where is it called? Lost Wages. Las, <laughs> what is it? Las, Las Vegas, sorry. Um, anyway, so here in Las Vegas, we're making our debut with our snacking veggies, savory cauliflower and zesty carrots. Wow. I'll have to try those. Yeah. Well, you were looking at them when you came over to grab me at the booth. Yeah. 
Tell me about what your biggest surprise was about getting involved in the specialty food trade. What has been my biggest surprise? Um, it's not going to sound like much of a surprise, but I think it's the biggest one. Um, you have fantastic highs, right? Mm-hmm. I just want a Sophie. You have fantastically low lows. I only got $1,000 out of 25000 on this check. And so what is critical for long-term survival in this industry is to maintain a sense of equanimity and recognize that things are never as good as your best day, nor are they as bad as your worst day. Okay. So I'm sorry, that's not a very exciting answer, but it's a very important answer. Right. And what do you want people to know about your brand that they might not know? Well, um, Rick's picks are crispy, savory, and persuasive. Um, Rick's picks um, come from a place of culinary invention. um, And we believe that the role of the pickle is not something that should be limited to the edge of a sandwich plate. Pickles should be used dynamically throughout the meal. I was talking with a, a, a group um, that I'm looking forward to partnering up with this morning um, uh, that make plant-based cheese. And, you know, our fat beets and their plant-based uh, uh, goat cheese are going to be a killer combo. And it's really good from a relationship standpoint because if you present something to a retailer like Whole Foods where they can pair a couple of items and get it out easily in digital um, they're building basket size for their customers. So they look at you as a partner who is doing more than just helping to sell your own products. What are fat beets? Fat beet is a, pick, is a pickled beet. Um, it's one at Sophie. Um, in fact, that's, uh, that's the, the head of that Sophie actually got knocked off in transit coming out here. So it's the headless trophy. It's a, <laughs> a unique one-of-a-kind thing. So fat beets are a, a pickled beet and a cider vinegar brine with fresh rosemary, ginger, and lemon, and mold spices of the holidays, cinnamon, cloves, and allspice. Oh, delicious. We're almost out of time, but before you go, we'd like for you to participate in our final segment that's called Take 5, where we have five questions for our guest. But first, let's pause for a break. In the heart of Williamsburg, Brooklyn, Lilia combines wood-fired seafood, handcrafted pasta, classic Italian cocktails, and warm hospitality. Since 2016, it's been celebrated as a neighborhood gathering place, bringing the best of Italy to New York City. Lilia is one of over 8,000 restaurants that leverage bento box to power their digital front door, including their website, gift cards, event management, and more. BentoBox is a marketing and commerce platform built specifically for the hospitality industry. With BentoBox, get discovered, make more money, and engage your diners so you can deliver great hospitality both in person and online. Visit getbento.com chef today to learn more and get your first month free. That's getbento.com chef. Hey everyone, I'm Jesse Sparks, host of the new podcast, The One Recipe, from the team behind The Splendid Table. This pod is all about that one recipe that you lean on. The one you share with friends, the one you make when you need a little love, and the one you know will work every single time. Every week, I talk with chefs and gifted cooks from all over the world about their one, and the story behind it. We're here to help you build your kitchen library one dish at a time. Follow The One Recipe wherever you get your podcasts. 
Okay, so um, Rick, here are your five questions for our final segment, take five. What's your favorite thing about the specialty food industry? My favorite thing about the specialty food industry are the relationships that I've built with many of my member peers. What's your biggest gripe about the specialty food industry? Well, I think my biggest gripe about the specialty food industry is that um, as you go along and you know gain some traction, you would think certain things would become easier. But what I've found is that the requirements that are asked of me by um, by uh, our retail partners, you know, become and distributors become more and more stringent and exacting. Uh, every year. If we want to remain relevant, we have to promote more. We have to promote deeper. We have to offer more deals. Um, and what ends up happening as a result of that is sometimes people say, Rick, what do you do? Oh, you must have so much fun. You make pickles all day long. And I'm no. You know, I argue about money with people. And I wasn't put on the planet to argue about money. So that's my biggest gripe. That it, you know, it it's it's gotten even more intense. And you know, COVID certainly hasn't um made that easier for anybody. Um the well-documented issues that all of us are having with supply chain, you know, are making things difficult. I had to make a decision the other day, you know, that I know I would, would have had uh, over only done over my dead body a few years ago, which was if we wanted to make fat beets, like we were talking about before, um, the regular glass wasn't available and we we're going to have to use this other bottle. So this signature Rick's Picks item is going to go on the shelf with a bottle that's going to look completely different from the ones that they're normally in. But it's either that or be out of stock. So there's no choice. Right. If you weren't running a specialty food business, what would you be doing? I think the right way to ask that question is, what am I going to do after I'm done with my pickle career? And the answer is, I'm going to get back into a more purely creative space. Um, There's a couple of movies that I'd love to make. I'd like to create a memoir about my journey. I think that um, it could be valuable for a lot of people uh, if I was able to share, you know, the triumphs and the tragedies of, of, of what's gone on here. And um, I have a, a, a pipe dream of um, having a, a band with some of my fellow um, middle-aged hipsters. What's the one piece of advice you'd give a new food business? Good question, Julie. What I would say is this. There's a question that I ask because, you know, I'm relatively well-known um, at this point, and so I, I get reach-outs from people from time to time. Hey, Rick, you know, I like your stuff. I saw it at Whole Foods. Uh, sorry, Shake Shack, man. How'd you do it? I would love to talk to you. And I'm like, dude, I will be happy to talk to you for an hour for free, but you have to answer yes to this question, and if you don't answer yes, we're not talking. You know what the question is? No. Do you love paperwork? Because if you don't love paperwork, don't get into the food business. And I've seen so many people who come in with this beautiful little food fantasy that they crafted in their kitchen, and they just get overwhelmed with documents and paperwork. So you have to really be disciplined around paperwork. And it's, it's, it sounds like a glib thing to say, but it's, it's so true. Um, the best way to do it, if you're, if you're a person who's um, you know, on the creative bent side, is to, um, is to have a, a cohort a partner um, who lives and breathes spreadsheets, who lives and breathes, breathes, who lives and breathes, you know, accurate documents. Um, and fortunately, we have we have two people in in our, in our team that are like that. So, you know, I get to be the person that I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And how would you define specialty food? How would I define specialty food? Um, I think the best definition of specialty food um, is 
when the focus is on ingredients, technique, terroir, things of that nature. I think that the SFA has, in fact, done a very good job of modernizing itself. When I first came along, I think the industry was still somewhat stuck in a word that I view as having no currency these days, which is gourmet. To me, gourmet doesn't tell you anything about what a product is. You have no idea about its attributes. You just know it's expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's supposed to be great because it's expensive. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, when the discussion is around um, where people come from, what techniques they use, what ingredients they use, that's what puts the special and specialty food. Great. Thank you for joining us today. You can find out more about this show at specialtyfood.com and heritageradionetwork.org. And remember to follow wherever you get your podcasts. Come back often to get to know the people who are shaping the future of food. Special thanks to Rick Field and to Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. This is Spill and Dish, a Specialty Food Association podcast.